Good morning. My name is Sarah Grigg, and I'm going to be reading the scripture today. Um, This is from Luke chapter 2, verses 15 through 21. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. All those who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them, but Mary treasured up all of these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus. The name was given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Sarah. Good morning and Merry Christmas. Yeah, as we heard, it is still Christmas. Remember that old song, 12 Days of Christmas, right? This is the seventh day. What did the true love give on the seventh day? Figure what that was. Um, Maybe somebody knows it. But uh, we've still got a few more days left until we're done with the Christmas season. Somebody's figuring out right now, going on Google on your phone. That's all good. Uh, Wikipedia that thing and see what's uh, what's happening on this day of the Christmas season. Uh, What's that? Oh, seven swans are swimming. Okay, there you go. Thank you. All right, so somebody might get some swans today, maybe. <laughs> maybe. Uh, so my, for those of you who are guests with us this morning, my name is Amari Hill. I'm one of the assistant pastors here at Christ Central Church. Uh, it's certainly good to have you. Um, we are at the end of a year. Another year has gone by. God has brought us through by grace. Amen. And we are excited I hope, for what is to come. And if that's you, and if that's not, or if that's not you, I'm hoping that what you hear today would encourage you. But before we hear from God's word, um, I'd like to pray. We'd just like to, if we could, if that's all right, just to have a, a season of prayer before we turn to God's word as we've come to the end of another year. So if you would please bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, it is still 2017. This has been an eventful year, to say the least. We, in this country, have experienced turmoil, not only politically, but also with natural disasters. There have been shootings, some which were Due to terrorist attacks, people would be who would be terrorists, others who young men and women and older cut down in the streets by those who presume to be judge, jury, and executioner. Father, our hearts have been filled with unrest over these things, hurricanes and shootings loss of children, wives and husbands, not to mention the many relatives of ours who have lost their lives in service to our country. And people are still reeling over these things. And then there are some, Lord, who walked faithfully with you in this world, and you called them home this year. 
we remember them. Father, we look back over this year and we see how you have also been with us through those trials and tribulations. You have sustained us by your grace. And Lord, some have had dashed hopes when it came to their jobs, their marriages, where they would like to live, their salaries, their health. And yet we are still here. We thank you, O oh God, because the same breath that you used, which is your spirit, to make all things is the same breath that you use to sustain us. You have spared no expense to give us life. For that, we are thankful. And, oh God, our hearts are not only, only heavy as we think about this last year, but we could also, if it, there, there's so many ways in which you have blessed us, we cannot even count. For some this year have actually seen success in their marriages. Some have had renewed friendships. Some have said hello to somebody that they said goodbye to many years ago. Some have actually experienced some victory over an, an addiction or sin that had taken over their lives. And they're experiencing something new. Some people have been brought into your kingdom this year who were once in darkness and without hope in the world. So some have welcomed new children into their families, had births. Some have been reunited with old friends. Some have received new jobs, a change in their career, an opportunity to move forward and to reimagine how they can give themselves away for your namesake in this world. For those things, we give you thanks. We pray, God, that right now you would soothe the sick, that you would comfort the dying, that you would raise up those whose hearts are down, that you would protect those who are filled with joy, that you would keep us all from the things that so easily entrap us. Keep us from pride. Keep us in the way of humility. Help us to abide with you, for in you we find life everlasting. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've been in this sermon series of the call of Christmas, and uh, it's about to end now. I'm just realizing my mic is doing some weird stuff here. Let me just bring this up a little bit further. Here we go. All right. Is that, is that better? Can you guys hear me? I'm take that as a yes. All right. <laughs> Good. Thumbs up. Great. Uh, so, so, yeah, we've been going through this call of Christmas, right, which has been an opportunity for us to slow down during the Christmas season and not just see it as a vacation or an opportunity uh, for, for us to, um, to rest. And as I've said before, all those things are good. And we need to be able to do that. And hopefully some of you have had a chance to rest over the, the past week or so. 
But is there something more to this Christmas season? Is there something under the surface that we need to pay attention to? Something like a call. What is Christmas calling us to do, and perhaps even to be? And so that's what we've been exploring. You've heard things from myself and Pastor Tom about um, the wonderful news of being adopted, that when we become Christians, we become children of the living God. And you've heard things uh, about uh, our, our status in, in his presence, that we're justified, which means that our sins are no longer held against us, but we share in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And these are the kinds of things that, uh, that we're to recall during the Christmas season. Most pastors, probably on this Sunday, I think last year, um, last Sunday was actually New Year's Day. So usually around this time of year on a Sunday like this, this is when pastors will do a sermon about the New Year's resolutions, talk to you about purpose in life, as we heard from our sister Amy. And since uh, I tend to people please, I'm not going to disappoint you. I'm going to stay right there and talk about New Year's resolutions. Um, but the church has uh, traditionally celebrated the Christmas season, as I said, for 12 days, not just one. And we were reminded about that already again this morning, too, by our sister. And let's be honest, a lot of us have already moved on, haven't we? Right? It's only been six days, and Christmas is done. <laughs> um, I mean, I've gone through my neighborhood, and already I've seen that the lights are taken down. We have one neighbor who had an extravaganza of different Christmas lights on the, on the corner and well, maybe that has to do with paying Duke Energy, but, you know, um, but if those, well, those lights are gone, trees are gone, people already thrown them out, right? And so what happened to the whole season? But some of you may are probably already aware that this new year, which is coming, 2018, is going to be filled with a complex set of challenges and opportunities. If we've learned anything over the years is that no year is simple. So 2018 will not be an exception to that. And our hearts and our minds are already thinking about the unfinished projects that are waiting for us at the office. Or if you're in college, you're already thinking about, you know, that pesky roommate that's waiting for you when you get back, right? Or that crazy dorm situation. Or what your professors are going to require of you once you get back, right? I mean, you're already thinking about the political climate that you have to face next year and for another two years after that, right? There's also the inevitable cold blasts, which are already here and which are still coming. And then this season is notorious for getting the flu. So we're going to have to deal with that. So not just the Arctic winds, which will bring down our temperatures and, and, and challenge our heating bills and all that sort of deal, but we also have to deal with sicknesses and illnesses during this season. But we also think about which venture will succeed, will succeed and which one will collapse. What new friend will come into your life? Or which friend will move away? Which loved one will become closer to you? And which one in 2018 will die? I think the temptation that faces us all is to face the coming year with a sort of veiled self-righteousness. Uh, let me explain that. Depending on our current resources and how we assess the events of this past year of 2017, we can look into the great unknown of the next 12 months and face them with either pride 
or despair. That is, we can imagine what 2018 will look like for ourselves and let our hearts be filled with anxiety or steel-plated resolve to take the year by force and inflate our egos. To stand at the door of a new year with either of those things coating our souls entirely breezes by the meaning of Christmas. And so Christmas reminds us that we are not the ground of our own being in a broken world, but it is God who has a plan for who we will become in the coming year. And already we may be consumed with whether this year will make us or break us. And so we need courage. We need courage to face what's coming. And we're already concerned about where the waves of history will carry our name. And so then we have the temptation that we have to struggle with, to the this, this temptation to think about what we will, um, uh, as, as we live, does our identity depend on the events of the world? Right? We have a temptation to believe that, that what transpires in history will, will shape who we are. Can we find something deeper than that for ourselves? Because if the events of the world determine who we are, who we will be, then we must find some way to control the world in order to secure ourselves. And friends, that is a heavy burden that no one can carry. Will I wake at night devising plans to take on the world? Or even worse, to just leave it all behind and just lay down and let life do what it has to do. And which of us hasn't struggled with this? I know I have. Um, my plea to all of you, my plea to us this morning, is not to ignore that temptation toward anxious pride or despair as we face a new year, but to slow down for a minute and consider walking the path of Christmas. I believe that if we do, we can have confidence that come what may, God will be with us, and we can have true courage to face and embrace the new year. That is, we can have true courage to embrace our lives as they truly are. Not some imagined life, but our real lives. And we can do this by searching, adoring, and resting. Okay, so for those of you who are taking notes, those are the points. Searching, adoring, and resting. We'll take the path of Christmas to search, adore, and rest. Searching for what? Searching for the Messiah, the one who is always near. But we have to look. We have to look for him. We can't just stand still and, and just think that the Messiah will suddenly appear, although he could do that if he wants to. But he calls us to search for him. And who is the Messiah? Right? As we learn from Scripture, the Messiah, is, you know, that's a, the, the Jewish word. The Hebrew word for God's promised king and the Greek word for the Messiah is the Christ, right? So Jesus' last name isn't Christ, but Christ is the title that he has, right? It's, he's the Messiah. He's the anointed king, the one whom God has chosen to be ruler over his people and ruler over all creation, to restore true peace and justice, not just to people, but to all of creation, which means animals and trees and dirt and the sea and the fish. All of God's good world is under the rule of this Messiah. As we already heard, the shepherds, they went immediately 
And they heard the good news. Remember this, like right as Luke records this, he reports it right before this text that we heard and that we read this morning. uh, There was an angelic chorus that burst out in song. Glory to God in the highest. And the shepherds heard this. And then after they, after they, they were part of this incredible event, they said what? Verse 15, when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And in 16 it says, and they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. They searched for the Christ. They went immediately. Now, the person who was the ruler at this time was Caesar Augustus. He ruled over the Roman Empire. Now, if you're the Caesar, right, you're the king, and you're about to have a big party for yourself, who's going to be invited? Who's on the VIP list? Certainly not shepherds, right? Not these guys. But this is who gets invited to the party for the birth of the king of kings and the lord of lords, shepherds. They were the ones who were invited to the birth of God's chosen king, lowly men who were probably isolated in their work, probably very dirty because of all the time that they were spending handling sheep and being out in the wilderness. And then as some historians say that um, shepherds would, you know, probably didn't have enough means to make... uh, to provide for their family, that they probably had to have some other jobs on the side just to make ends meet. Anybody know about that in 2017? Having to rub two pennies together to make some heat? Anybody had to go through that? Shepherds are not unlike you. This reminds us that God invites people into his presence that don't have it all together. We don't have to have it all together. And, you know, it's funny, though, because on on Sunday morning, you know, we say, come as you are. Come on in. You know, you got your jeans and your sneakers on, and maybe you got shorts on when it's hot, you know, that kind of stuff. And, you know, maybe you don't know your Bible verses and that sort of deal. Just, you know, just come on in. Come as you are. But how do we do in our private gatherings, right? Um, You know, sometimes it's, hey, you know, you can come on in if if you know the difference between Langston Hughes and James Baldwin. Right, or you can come on in if you know the if you know the difference between a real estate investment, a good real estate investment, and gentrification. That's somebody this morning. But you and I may not be the poster girls for entrepreneurial success. We may not know all the church lingo, but the shepherds remind us that we're invited to come and to see. The Messiah, the Christ, regardless of our social or economic status. Did we not get a chance? Did you not get a chance to take a vacation with the, at the family home in California or Colorado this, this Christmas, this year? Did you mishandle your budget this year? Did you not get that promotion that you were hoping for this year? You still living in that jacked up little house this year? Are you going into the new year? feeling embarrassed, the king is waiting for you. The king is waiting for you. Don't let your status hold you back. And don't let your sins do it either. For there's that hymn, that song, that come ye sinners, that says, let not conscience make you linger, nor of fitness, your, your spiritual fitness, fondly dream. But come to him. 
And many are led to believe in the church that we have to have our moral ducks in a row in order to uh, join the king's tribe, in order to go to the manger and to celebrate the Christ, the Messiah. And the church is partly at fault for this because in the so-called culture wars that we've been fighting, right, we tell people, don't you dare come to the manger if you have certain sexual sins. Hello. Don't, don't, don't come, don't dare come to the manger. But, you know, but if you're arrogant and you gossip, you know, we kind of look past that. That's all right. And then we play this game of a moral superiority and then start developing this arbitrary list of God's who's who and, and uh, you know, who, who, be, who belongs in, in his club. You know, we say we, we, we go for the it's, the, it's the Luddite or the, the tech-savvy person, the inclusivist or the isolationist, the vegan or the omnivore, the evangelist or the social activist. We play these folks against each other and, and say, you know, it, it, you have to be one of these, one or the other in order to fit in God's list. And that list goes on and on and on. And a lot of us have grown weary of that list, gotten tired of it. Where's the Messiah? Where's the Christ? Somebody show me Jesus. We were searched for the Messiah. We need to go back to Bethlehem. We need to go back to the manger. We need to go back and see the baby lying in the feeding trough. Because this feeding trough, yes, it was, you know, the image, like the, this is clearly a, a very easy way to help the shepherds to locate the Messiah, right? To go to a feeding trough and you find a baby in it. That wasn't something that you see every day, right? So that was, so God was making a, a had made an easy way for, for others to, to find Jesus during that time. But it wasn't just a, uh, like a, a divine GPS, if you will. But this manger, this scene, it also helps us. For when Jesus becomes older, when the Messiah grows up, he declares, I am the bread of life. And so we must go to the manger to feed as well. We must go to that trough and to take part in the bread of life. For we are reduced to brutish behavior and barely veiled self-righteousness by our disordered desires. We must come to the manger and eat what God provides. We must go to Bethlehem. For none of our spiritual fitness matters if we would be reconciled and forever accepted by God. We live in a world of many would-be gods and kings, and, but only one offers himself for forgiveness of sins. Only one offers himself to make us whole from the inside out. Did you give in to your addiction again this year? Did you lose a friend? due to your own choices? Did you use someone to feel good about yourself? Are you still playing that game of I'm not so bad? Have, are you about to go into the new year ready to dole out judgment on someone else or thinking that this year might be the year that you actually receive it? The king is waiting for you. Waiting for you. Christ is no longer a baby in Bethlehem, as we know. He's seated at the right hand of the Father, overseeing the kingdom, which is and which is coming. And he speaks to us through his word, and he feeds us at his table. 
And there are three, there have been three particular ways in which uh, Jesus has made himself available so that we can, we can search for him and, and eat the bread that he gives. And he does it through prayer. And as we listen uh, to his words, we read it. And as we feed and feast, and we come to his table in communion. And we do all these things in community, right? It's not just by ourselves, but uh, all these different ways in which God feeds us when we search for him and find him, we do it in community with one another. The king is ready to receive us and to fill us always through prayer and through word and through sacrament if we would simply renounce our self-rule and then seek to adore him, just as the shepherds did. Seek to adore him above all other loves in this world. But how do we do that? Luke helps us. Okay, so we search and we need to adore. We need to adore Jesus in, in his humiliation. Look again at verse 18. It says this, And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. See that adoration? And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And then catch this. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Okay, so this is a part where it's going to get a little Sunday school here for a second, a little, a little technical. But I think you, you all are very intelligent people, so I know you'll be able to follow along here, okay? Uh, so if you bear with me. But so there has to be a way for the Christmas event to mystify us and to recapture our hearts so that we are driven from just merely searching into adoration. So Luke tells us to ponder Christ's humiliation, right? And, it, and he draws our attention particularly to a seal, which is circumcision. And this seal was given to the one who, was, who would play the role as the savior of the entire world. So the church now quickly came to recognize that Jesus was the Son of God. But that was after the resurrection, right? And it came pretty quick. I mean, you read the New Testament, it's in there. There are hymns that are written. There are things that are said. Uh, you know, it became pretty clear that God's people, that Christians, began to understand that Jesus is the Son of God, that he's the second person of the Godhead of the Trinity, right? But prior to that, Jesus had been humble, had been humiliated in such a way that his divinity was, was veiled, as we're saying, veiled in flesh, right, that God had seen. And so, you know, look at this again. Verse 21, he said again, I'll read this one more time. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, at the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the world. Okay, here's where we get technical, because I need to talk here for a second about circumcision. The Son of God. The church has confessed for thousands of years that God has revealed Jesus as his only begotten son. The son of God took on flesh, and then he was cut and only eight days old. And that's humiliating. That's humiliating for the son of God to come. First of all, he comes as a, as a child, vulnerable in the, in the womb of his mother, and then comes into the world, and then here he is eight days old. He is cut. God? What was happening here? We have to take this deep down into our hearts if we're to move toward adoration um, as we move with Christ into this new year. 
Remember the book of Genesis when God met with Abraham and he called him out and, he's, and, he's, and he said to him that I will be God to you and to your offspring. Right? And, and, you know, he threw in also this land of sojourning and that sort of deal, right? And so it's like, okay, you know, I'm not going to get to settle down, but at least we get the promised land. But, the, but the, the, the meat of that was that they get to, God was promising to, to belong to Abraham and to his children, and he to him, and them to him. And, and Abraham was the father of that, the, the, the father of a radical monotheistic faith, right, which is to say uh, that there is not just one God who created all things, but there is only one true and living God that exists, only one. Right? And, and Abraham was the father of that faith. And so those who came underneath Abraham inherited that faith. And circumcision was a sign that was, that was given right, to the, the, the boys within those families. A sign of God's promise to be with them forever and to bring them into a land that he would show them. It was a seal that was given to those who would be recipients of God's promise and to their children. But God's promises, in, in some ways, seem were conditional upon obeying the law. I mean, circumcision was one piece of that. Your, your, your children had to be circumcised. And we see that Jesus, even here, his parents submit to the law. At eight days old, as was customary, he was circumcised. But it seemed like the promise that God had for his people was conditioned upon just, you know, what, keeping his laws and, and staying faithful to him. And, and it also had, and the, the promise was also hinged upon making atonement for oneself, for one's sins, and for the sins of your community, the sins of your people. All these things were written in the law. So then if you were living underneath that kind of covenant, if you will, with the Lord, then there was always this hint of danger of being cut off. Always a danger of being cut off, of being isolated, being displaced from all of, the, of God's benefits in the presence of God himself. And if that happened to you, then there was a loss of identity and security. But then if you're cut off from God's people, then who are you? And where do you fit in? And so a man who could be circumcised and, and, and feel um, secure within, uh, for, for God's promises, would also know that he was, after he was circumcised, he was in some sense securing something for his children, for his whole household. Now here's the thing. Jesus is the son of God. He had no need for God's promises. He has all, right? Everything belonged to him. Scriptures tell us he gave it up, right, for our sake. But so, so Jesus has, the Son of God has no need for God's promises. He became a man, and he took the risk of circumcision, and he actually fulfilled God's law. And then he suffered its penalty, being rejected by God, being rejected by his own people, being crucified, not in Jerusalem, but outside of the holy city. Christ did what the circumcised 
could not do for themselves. For who gets what he earned since he didn't need it? And who can speak of his children? Where's Jesus' household? John says, all who receive him and believe in his name, he gives the right to become children of God. Matthew says, whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. And what is God's will? That we would believe in the one whom he has sent. Even as a baby, Jesus cut an everlasting covenant for us who believe in him with his own blood. And later on, he would give his very life so that we could inherit the promises. He did it all for us. To be long to prosper in this world and to have a community to whom we belong. Some sense of an enduring identity and security. And because of the humiliation of the Christ child, we can have both of those things without cost. The king is waiting for you. He's waiting for us. And though death may come, we will walk upon this earth forever, beholding the glory of God with a multitude of nations who have come to love him and love one another. What has the Messiah done? Oh, come, let us adore him. And after we have looked upward and gazed into the glory of Christ, and we've taken our gaze off of our anxieties and we've placed them on him, what do we do? We rest in him. We need to rest. As we have searched for the Messiah, we adore him. We are called to rest. Rest on what in particular? To rest in the call of the Christ. And we can do that in two ways. We rest on what he is called to do, and we rest on what we are called through him. We rest in what he is called to do, and we rest on what we are called through him. The Son of God had no human name for all of eternity. No name whatsoever, right? Now, at this moment, in the Christmas scene, he is giving a new name that he carries forever. And that name is Jesus. And the scriptures tell us that Jesus means Yahweh, God. I am that I am. Remember we spoke about that? I, I will be who I will be. Yahweh saves. That is what his name means. That is who he is. And some people don't quite live up to their names, but Jesus certainly did. The sacrificial love that has secured our salvation from God's enemies and from death and from our own sinful nature, that sacrificial love which catapults our bodies and our souls into eternal life and freedom is forever etched on Jesus by his name, that great and wonderful and glorious name. It is in his name that we learn that he is the one and the only savior of mankind in all of creation. So we stand at the precipice of a new year, my friends, with hard decisions that we have to make for ourselves and for our loved ones while the unknown spins around us. And we have true responsibility, yes, things that we have to take on for ourselves, decisions that we will have to make, plans that we will have to make. 
we, we have to sit down and meditate on things before we move forward. So we have true responsibility, but we do not have the benefits of sovereignty. We are weak in that regard. We do not have the power that is necessary to control our lives and to bring forth blessing and to bring forth what we need and what we desire for the new year. So here's how you rest. Remember that only the Son of God was named Jesus by heaven. You are not called to save the world. He is. You're not even called to save yourself. He is. That's Jesus' job, not yours. Do you feel the freedom in that? <laughs> Be faithful with what you have, yes, right? Work. Get out there. Do your job. Work with excellence, right? Seek to be creative. Tap into your imagination. When, when your boss tells you to do your thing, go ahead and do your thing. Don't get fired. Keep your job, right? Take care of your kids. Don't just say, Jesus got you. I'm going to sleep. No, like, do, keep being a parent. Take care of your roommates, right? Be present. Care for those around you. We have to work. We need to be faithful in what we're doing. We must seek to bear fruit, right, in, in love and in, and in grace with excellence. But if anything or anyone is going to be saved, it's going to be by the hands of Jesus, not us. We can expect setbacks and failures. We've already experienced that in 2017, and guess what? Friends, it's coming in 2018. You might as well just be prepared for it. Failure's coming. Setbacks will happen. Let's not pretend. And let's not pretend that those things are not painful either. They're painful. And we come to the end of this year, some of us with, with tears and with lament, and we, we're just longing for God to tend to us and to, and, and to heal our hurts and to mend our broken hearts. These failures and these setbacks are, are painful. But we are not named in God's sight by our accomplishments or our lack thereof. Through Jesus, we have a new name. We are called Christians. We share in his name. That is your name today, my friends. If you are in Christ, you are his. Your name does not depend on what you have done or what you will do. You are Christian. Christian. The call of Christmas is not first about what we will do. It is about who we are called to be. We're Christians. We are not at risk of living or dying as a nobody, but we are called God's beloved by sheer grace. That is who you are in Christ. Embrace it. Rest in it. You may have lost this year in great ways. And you may lose in a greater way in 2018. But this I know. Jesus said, this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. You are Christian. You are his. Rest in what God calls you through Jesus. Your king is waiting for you. Give your sins to him and take courage.
your king is waiting for you. Give your regrets to him and take courage for your king is waiting for you. Give your talents to the king. He's waiting for you. Give your children, your bodies, your relationships and your ambitions to the king. And take courage for he is waiting for you. In this new year, place your life in the hands of the king week after week with prayer, getting to the scriptures, and then communion. Your king is waiting for you. Rest in his call and take courage. For whatever Jesus does with our failures or our achievements or our hopes and fears of all our years, he will save us. Why? Because it's in his name. It's in his name. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you for that wonderful and matchless name, Jesus. God saves indeed. Even when we forget, you are saving us. You have been with us this entire year and you will be with us in 2018. We pray, God, that you would help us to rest in our identity, to rest in what you call us, yours, your beloved Christians. We have all that you have promised to your people because your son was cut for us, because he gave his life for us. He is the king who not only rules but cares for us and heals us. We surrender to him our regrets. We surrender to him our fears. We surrender to him our sins, our setbacks, our failures. Because we know that through him you are in the business of redemption. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would restore our confidence in our mighty Savior, that you would make plain to us the glorious appearing of Jesus, just as the shepherds saw him in his infancy and went away glorifying and praising you. We ask that you would give us a glimpse of your son, that our hearts would be filled with adoration, that we too would join in that heavenly course which broke out so many years ago. And we also would know that we will be saved regardless of how strong or weak we are. We thank you, Lord. Thank you for giving us a king who sympathizes with our weaknesses who loves us deeply and holds us forever. In his name we pray, amen.